everybody. Welcome to Media Review Pod, a variety podcast of discussions, opinions, and interviews focusing on the entertainment side of media. My name is Richard Santiago, and today we'll be uh, feeling our way along the walls as we discuss the film Sightless with our brand new guest on the pod. As always, you can tweet us at Media Review Pod with the Media Review Pod hashtag. You can send us an email at MediaReviewPod at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or suggestions, or you can just leave a voicemail by calling us at 407-603-5847. With me today is a friend and colleague, winner of multiple awards for his work in film, Someone who makes everything he shoots with a camera turn into something absolutely beautiful. Cinematographer, Andrew Jarek. Welcome to the pod. Well, well, thank you, Rich. I appreciate you having me, brother. Of course. So I'm so happy to have you here to chat with me for a while because it has actually been a while and you've been doing quite a lot. Um, I think it's been, what, more than 10 years since we've actually seen each other face to face? Ooh, 10 years, man. Yeah. It's got to be something like that, man. Yeah, time just flies, doesn't it? Yep. Yes, it does. Um, and just for the digital history books of podcasting, it is February the 12th of the year 2021, and it's been one year, give or take, right? Since the first reported cases of COVID-19 here in the U.S. And it's almost 11 months since the lockdown began. And around this time last year, I was recording an episode with uh, with Leonora, um, and the big issue back then was toilet paper. Um, <laughs> thankfully, we we don't we don't have that anymore. It's, it's no longer the case. However, people are still, you know, getting sick, and most important, some, uh, you know, we we should keep in mind that people are still dying. So this is just my quick PSA. For all of you out there listening during this time, let's just keep our masks on and over our nose. Let's let's maintain a healthy physical distance until it's absolutely safe to do otherwise. Anyway, Andrew, how have yes, you sir. been dealing with this pandemic? Ooh, what a question, right? I mean, yeah, it's been about a year now. Uh, I guess just as well as anybody can, right? It's just like it's how to you know keep doing what you love to do, how to make money, how to stay afloat keep your body and your mind healthy. And that's kind of been the goals. You know, I think you have good days, bad days, good months, bad months, you know, it's a lot's happened in our country, obviously over the last year politically. And, oh, yeah. you know, you get, you get pulled into all that. And then sometimes you have to take a step back just for your own, you know, your own health, mental, physical, whatnot. Yeah. And then you get pulled right back into it again. And, you know, you still have to figure out what's going on with your career. You know, filmmaking is, filmmaking is, uh, it's a very complicated endeavor, you know, it's kind of moves with the wind and everybody's kind of fighting for their place within this industry constantly, you know, and so it's just, it's just how to, how to navigate all those uh, waters while we're in this kind of storm yeah. uh, that we find ourselves in. So, you know, I think I'm, I'm, I'm happy, you know, obviously I, I was able to work during the pandemic, That's which great. a lot of people weren't. So I got to shoot a, a cool project that'll hopefully be released this coming year. Um, you know, and that gave me a good 30 days on set, uh, just, you know, practicing my muscles again, my creative muscles and stuff. And uh, I was thankful because a lot of people didn't work at all, you mm -hmm. know, and I didn't know if I was going to work. And, and so we just kind of 
how to take care of each other, our friends, our family and stuff. And yeah, it's, it's been a hell of a year, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So. How soon after the lockdown did you start working again? Um, I didn't get, I think, actual work again until about uh, middle of the summer. So it was a good like two, three months of, you know, nobody knows what's going on. And even then it was kind of crazy. You know, nobody understood what set protocol was going to be like and how are we going to actually make projects in the middle, you know. And right. some, again, people, some people didn't want to wear masks. Other people were like me and my team were just completely pro mask, wear your mask, you know, be safe. Mm -hmm. Um it was complicated, really complicated. And then, you know, so jobs were very sporadic, but then I, I was thankful I got a, a really good opportunity to just do some fun genre work, um, like a female spy thriller kind of story. And I was able to do that around uh, the holidays last year, the end of the last year. All right. That's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm excited to get started. So Andrew Jarek, where were you born and raised? Born in uh, San Diego, El Cajon, actually. Um Back in the early '80s, man, and uh, yeah, right. and I was I was out there for about ten years, and then you know families do what families do, and you know uh, we ended up moving, moved a lot, uh, lived in Oregon for a little bit, just real kind of a quick tour there, then made our way to Alabama, was out there Huntsville for about three years. That was an eye-opening experience coming from California to Alabama, as you can imagine. Mm. Uh, it was interesting, but I, I love the nature out there, and I got to I got to have kind of that that kind of childhood where you're just kind of out in the swamps uh, up to, you know, getting into mischief and just kind of discovering nature and, <laughs> you know, getting in all kinds of trouble and stuff. So that was, that was cool. But then it, we, we were only there for a few years and then we ended up in Richmond, Virginia, where I kind of like kind of call my adopted home because uh, I was out there for all my like formative years, my middle school, high school, you know, I ended up uh, going to community college there and stuff before I uh, was able to make it back out to California. So I was there for a good chunk. Okay. All right, so so you've always called California your home, then? Yeah, it's like like you know, if Richmond, Virginia is my adopted home, like California is like home, home. It's just mm -hmm. the the air feels right here, the land feels right. You just feel proper when I'm here. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what part. It's just it's just California in general. Right. Yeah. Do you have family there? Yeah, yeah. I got uh, my mom's back in Virginia, but then I have uh, my dad's out here and. and and Hemet actually, he used to live in San Diego, but he moved to, to when he retired and stuff. So definitely got family on all coasts, and I got a large extended family. It's just like all scattered about the whole United States. So. Okay, so you have a place to crash. <laughs> yeah, anywhere basically. <laughs> I'm, I'm fortunate. That's I mean. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, so so um, you what what was your major when you when you were in college? Yeah, well, I, I had to go to uh, community college, which I will always be thankful for. And I anybody that goes to community college, God bless you. It's a Thankfully, it's a thing that's real and exists because I kind of messed up in high school a little bit and ended up having to kind of rewrite my past per se, uh, or as you would say, and um, community college gave me another, like another chance, you mm. know? So I kind of went a little older in life, like uh, late, like I think I was like 1920 before I started and then I was there for a few years, and, and that's actually where I took – that was just kind of general, general stuff, you know, general studies. But I took um, a photography class there, and that was actually just kind of when I was like, oh, like I kind of understand what's going on through the, you know, through the lens. Like I didn't know. Like it was just my first class, but it just – it felt like a fish to water. It just felt right, you know. So wait, wait. So, so did, you, did you actively seek out a photography class, or was this just something that was imposed on, on you? 
No, no, it's just an elective. You know, I, uh, you'll have to take like one or two whatever elective classes. I just looked through this brochure. And I was the kind of kid that like I never took, I never did much with photography when I was growing up. But like whenever we would take family photos, like I was never happy, you know, and I would always try to take it over again and try to find a, something. It just something felt like too generic in the way people just took photos, you know, like they would just stack everybody, everybody smile, say cheese. And that always bothered me. You know, so I'd always like take the camera, do an off angle, something. I didn't have no idea what I was doing. It just, it was just a pure feeling. But then in community college, I had to take an elective anyway. So this was interesting to me. And then all center just like kind of, things just started falling in place. It was like a black and white film class with a dark room and all that kind of stuff. And it was fun. I just, I truly enjoyed it. And uh, then I I finished my time there, but I wanted to get back to California because I like, I left there as a kid and like part of me was always trying to get back, I guess. And um, so I used college as a way to transfer as a, as a, as an easy way to, you know, segue back. And uh, I applied to a few UCs and I got into UC Santa Cruz of all schools. I had no idea what that school was. I didn't even know where it was, but they let me in. So like, <laughs> I just jumped on it. And that was, that was a quite an, an opening experience going from, probably one of the more conservative parts of the country to one of the most extreme liberal parts of the country. But I had a lot of fun there and I went in actually as a psychology major. Oh wow. And, uh, uh, I, I then transferred to their film department after a little while. Cause I just realized I wanted to do film. Like did any, did any of that stick? The, the psychology? Oh yeah, man. Like, I think it's like my bedrock, um, for a lot of what I do in the, in the film industry. I, I look out, pro- I look out for projects and I want to be a part of projects that always have like, like some kind of human, psychological aspect to it where we're really digging into the reasons why people do the things they do and mm. stuff so like i just always been fascinated with the way the mind works and so yeah yeah i it, but i realized when i was at school it's just like hey i really wanted to do film so i might as well just do what i really want to do so i transferred to their film department which was very loose very artistic very expressionistic i guess you could those are the nice ways of putting it you okay. know just kind of there was no the, the teaching was kind of like, you do what you want to do, you know, and you figure it out and, and then we'll talk about it. But mm. I was always kind of a, I don't know if you got like a full education there in the sense of like how to make film, you know, like how to do it from any kind of technical aspect. But it, what it gave you was just uh, how to express your voice, you know what I mean? Like how to trust what your heart and mind want to express. And, you know, you, you do it the best you can from a technical standpoint, but just the act of doing what you're what's what's inside of you was really productive you know so uh i got a lot out of that in that respect in terms of like finding your voice so but i i was i was always uh i was more of a director cinematographer so that was the way because back then it was just like i just did whatever you know i edited did all that kind of stuff did yeah. did the whole shebang everybody was kind of a lone wolf and everybody just it wasn't like a teamwork based kind of program it was kind of just like you do your projects and then we all talk about it as a class so i had like two years of that kind of I guess study, if you want to call it that, but more just doing, I guess. All right. So, so you said you you transferred then from psychology to film because you wanted to do film. How how soon in your life do you think that you realized that that's what you wanted to do? Uh, that's a good question. I think like in innately, probably like when I was like. 10 to 12 somewhere in that run i mean it's just i was just draw i was obsessed with film like i would just sit in my room i'd watch devour i mean i'm sure this is a story that a lot of people can relate to that are you know cinephiles and stuff but it's just like man i could devour five films a day you know i just i wasn't like i'm a mix of like an introvert and an extrovert i just i need my alone time you know Mm -hmm. i love people but i really need my alone time and during my alone time i'll 
I was actually weirdly enough just trying to watch other people's lives like voyeuristically, you know, through these films. And I learned so much about life through filmmaking. And that's why I realized like the power of it. I think it was like a process, you know, it's just, I just love film, watched it. You know, my first memory of a movie was watching Return of the Jedi in a theater, you awesome. know what I mean? which is so cool. Cause I like, it was, it was a film I lost like two or three years old, you know, but I actually remember like, those moments i remember the death star i remember all that stuff and it's just like so film's been a part of my life since i can remember and uh, my mom loves storytelling she reads lots of books and she loves film too and we always some of the best conversations i have about film is with my mom she's like well we should have her on the podcast then i know she'll, she'll (laughs) she'll cut through a lot of the bs you know because she's she's just so smart but she doesn't know like all the film stuff like film nerds like us know Mm -hmm. you know she just but she just she's smart yeah 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 just the gut you know she she knows a good story when she sees okay um so yeah, film's always been a part of my life, but I think like, like, I think it wasn't until I started putting the pieces together, like almost like 18, 19, where I started going, what am I going to do with my life? You know, cause there was a whole chapter of my life where I was just, you know, I got in trouble. I did all kinds of crazy stuff. And, and for those moments for like a good chunk of years, I was just living for the moment, you know, um, a lot of my teen years, but then at some point I kind of came back around and go, okay, what am I going to do in my life? And that's like when I went to community college and stuff and, and just film was always there, you know, just like, man, can I do this? Is this something that could be real? You know, like, so yeah, I don't know. I just kind of did like a leap of faith. It's just like one day I was just like, you know what? I think I can do this. You know, I think film, I love film. I think I can do it. I, I have no idea, but I believe in myself. You know, I think that's the number one thing, like in general for any goals, any dreams is you just first, you got to believe in yourself, you know, right. period. So is there, is there a movie or movies that you kind of credit for, for that spark? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I guess every filmmaker probably has their their couple, right? Right. But it's like for me, one was The Crow. I was a big comic book uh, nerd, geek, whatever you want to say. Like uh, growing up, it was just that was besides movies, I love comic books. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. I wasn't like so much in the Marvel kind of stuff. I was into like the dark DC stuff, the more psychological stuff. The villains were always interesting, and and you know, and, and comic book movies weren't really a thing back then. You know, yeah, like Tim Burton's Batman and a few exceptions, but like. I just remember uh, The Crow was going to come out, you know, and that was a big deal that a graphic novel was going to be turned into a movie. And and I was also growing up a big fan of Bruce Lee and martial I took martial arts throughout my life. So I was just like, it was this weird combination where like Brandon Lee, the son of Bruce Lee, was going to star in a comic book. It was just like worlds colliding. And I just loved it and I couldn't wait. And then, you know, unfortunately, Brandon Lee was passed away during the making of it. And for some reason, that just really hit me. I still remember watching like, I think it was like CNN or something. There was like a a little thing that said, you know, that he had passed away. I just remember being really upset. I lived in Alabama at the time. And then that just kind of, I guess, ingrained something in my mind. And then the movie did get released, right? And I was there opening night. And I remember going there and like half the people were dressed like the crow. And and there was this, (laughs) there was this celebration of that movie, Mm. like also, you know, with a tribute to Brandon Lee yeah. too. And, and I do, I cried like, I'm not gonna lie. I cried like through half that movie, you know, it was just this weird mix of things and emotion and movies. I love movies. I love comic books. I love martial arts. And I was, I really was a big fan of Brandon Lee. I'd seen rapid fire showdown, little Tokyo. So Brandon Lee was like our way of living, of seeing, you know, Bruce Lee too, in a way, cause yeah. like we didn't get to experience him while he's alive. So it was uh, fascinating stuff, but it, that really just was this weird moment where it just kind of like, stuck in my it it altered my dna or something you know and then another one was years later i saw requiem for a dream when i was living in richmond virginia and 
that's I was a little more taking cinema more seriously. I was watching more foreign films. I was watching more, you know, challenging stuff. And I saw that film and I was just like, whoa, like, I didn't even know you could do some of the stuff they were doing, you mm-hmm. know, and, and really getting into the heads. I was already into psychology just kind of innately, you yeah. know, and a film that was able to capture the psychology of people that I thought so well, you know, visually too, not just like, you know, just watching people talk from the outside, but like kind of getting in their minds, mm-hmm. you know, um, man, that was just the fact that you could do that to me, like I'm sure other films had done that previously, but like I wasn't, you know, at least on some level, but I wasn't, I hadn't seen those movies. Well, yet, the, you know, the, that, that movie has a very distinct visual style as well. Yeah, and absolutely. That was during the uh, advent of the split screen editing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I think that movie takes really good advantage of that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That's one of the, I have that film by the way, uh, because it was also a, a film that influenced me quite a bit. But if I'm being honest, I have only seen that movie twice because I can't stomach it. Mm-hmm. I, no, fair. That's fair. It's just, it's, it's one of those films that I just cannot bring myself to watch again. I can see a, a scene or two. If, if I need a reference or something like that, I can go back to it. But as far as doing an entire watch of it, it I don't know. It's just... I, I don't think I'll, I'll, I would be able to do it again. <laughs> no, it's tough, man. It's tough. I feel you, man. I feel you. It's, it's weird because I'm like, I'm drawn to those films. You know, like I, I want to be a part of those films. Those are the kind of stories I love to tell the yeah. most. But they're not easy to watch. I'll be the first to admit it. You know, these aren't the most accessible films. You yeah. know, they're definitely the polar opposite of, you know, like a Marvel film. You know, they couldn't get more polar yeah. opposite. <laughs> yeah. and, and I get it. You know, it's not a safe place to be. It, puts you mm. in uncomfortable situations it makes you see things you might not be in the mood for or you didn't even realize like was could happen or you know it just shows you shows you things that you might not want to have known you know in mm. retrospect and that but that's the power of cinema you know i mean that that's really it it's just like i got into film because i kept realizing along the way how much power it had as a storytelling device and i was drawn to it you know mm. just and it's the films that I guess use that power the best, I guess is the best way to say it for me. Those are the ones I'm the most drawn to, you know, and the ones I really want to be a part of the most. I see value in entertainment, of course. And I work on a lot of projects that are created mostly for entertainment purposes. There's nothing wrong with that. I just, uh, personally, I love films that can really use cinema at its full potential, you know, and, and that film does it. And it's not, you know, it's not that comfortable. And another one, you know, later on, much later in life is like enter the void. Have you ever seen that one? Dude. Okay. (laughs) So I, I was about to mention that movie right now because that's the other movie that I cannot bring myself to watch ever again. (laughs) Again. Okay. So, 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 um, I discovered this movie on Netflix and uh, I don't know why I said, all right, sure. It looks interesting. And I was, I was at USC actually in the library watching this movie and all throughout the movie, I was thinking to myself, why am I still watching this? Because it's, it's a very um, engaging movie because of the visual style it's it's yeah. a very very stylized film um it has so many different perspectives 
you start from a from a from a different point of view from the way the movie ends yeah the camera moves in impossible ways at that time that yeah. i was i i couldn't understand how that was filmed i i didn't even know i i was asking myself where's the camera where is the cameraman and where is the camera because uh, you have mirror shots and and uh, 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 it's like you're in a video game and you're you're watching your own reflection. It's I I don't know. Anyway, I I understand that that movie is very powerful. Some people hate it just because Gaspar Noé has a a, a very <laughs> um se- uh, different sensibility than other people. Yeah. Um, he likes to be very graphic, uh, very in your face. But just thinking about those psychedelic moments in the beginning, just the way the movie starts. Um, and, and this is me re- recounting this just from only from watching it once. I remember how that movie begins mm-hmm. and how that movie ends because That's of power. the impact that that movie yeah. made on me. Um, and then you have these swooping camera moves from one place to the other seamlessly without cutting from one part of the city to the other and it was just it's it was just mesmerizing just going through the motions of 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 that movie um but it's such a dense movie the 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 themes are so graphic in nature that i just when i finished it i said all right i i it, It was very impactful. I'm not watching this ever, ever again. <laughs> no, fair enough. Man. I hear you, bro. Like it's it's not an easy watch. Like I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of that film, and I can I can never sit through the whole thing. Like I, but I I recognize it for the genius it is. It's just, it's challenging. It's dense. I mean, he doesn't make movies for audiences. He makes movies for himself. Really. <laughs> I mean, he's he's an artist. Like let, let's be clear. They they. You know, the words artist and visionary and all these other keywords that people love to throw around nowadays are just so overused. It, it just waters the point down. I mean, Gasper is an artist. He is a visionary. And and this is what it means, right? When you see his films, Irreversible, even Climax. I love Climax. It's uh, probably his most accessible film. But it's just like you when you watch those films, it's like that's what visionary means. That's what artistic means. That's what artistry means. You know, it's like... And it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Great art challenges you, right? I mean, that's why we all the great art art throughout history Absolutely. is not the most accessible. So it's the stuff that makes you think, the stuff that makes you feel uncomfortable, the stuff that challenges the status quo, right? And so I love that stuff. I can't. I'm not gonna lie and say I sit there and like watch it and love it with popcorn or something. Mm-hmm. No, is you you have to be t- tuned into that stuff. But his whenever that dude comes out with a film, his ripple effect is felt for the next five years in movies left and right even like fellow filmmakers that might be considered avant-garde or you know of of that kind man they're they're just on a different level you know he's working at the top level and when he makes a film it all trickles down from there and then somehow like a technique like a camera techniques finds its way again into like a marvel film or something mm-hmm. you know like it, it's strange like that like he really is kind of he's one of those few artists that's truly at the the point the pinnacle and i i appreciate his films i always watch his films i saw climax in a, a little lemley theater 
And man, I walked out of that film in a daze. Like I, like I had taken some weird drug, you know, like, and that's his most accessible film, like his easiest to watch. Film. And I, it took 30 minutes. I didn't even drive. I didn't, I couldn't sit. It was like, I felt like I was on some kind of drug because sitting in watching his films in a dark theater is like a must for any cinephile. Like it's, you can't watch it just at home and be able to turn it off and, mm-hmm. you know, go grab a snack. No, like, cause he's got this hypnotic quality to his films. And if you give into it, it's like, he'll take you on a ride, you know, and right. I appreciate that stuff. So I love films like that, but you know, I understand they're, they're not, you know, they're not the easiest stuff to watch. <laughs> well, for those of you out there who have not yet uh, tuned in to how Andrew and I know each other, we went to USC school of cinema we did. We uh, were in the same year. So um, I'm just curious why choose USC? I mean, you're already in California, right? But, yes, uh, I, you have, I was in, yep, I was up in UC Santa Cruz at that time, yeah. But you have UCLA or you had NYU, USC, FSU. What, what, what about USC was uh, calling your name? Yeah, man, it was the only one, you know, like I, like I applied to multiple schools for undergrad, you know, because I didn't know what I was doing. I just wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of, but when it came to grad school, there's only one school I applied to only one school I wanted to go to. And it was USC. That was it. It was easy. I didn't want to go to UCLA, AFI, any of those schools. It just, I think it was just the lineage, you know, I mean, there's value in that. And I, there was a bit of a, you know, a little bit of legend and myth wrapped around USC, you know, yeah. with its incredible history and mm-hmm. all the alumni and stuff. So I don't know, like a part of me knew, like, I didn't even want to go there for undergrad. I didn't even apply for undergrad because I knew like, I guess so many famous filmmakers that I respected and admired, they went there for graduate school. So I wasn't hundred percent set on graduate school, but I knew if I was going to go, it would only be to USC. Like, I think I just bought into the stories, man. I love, I love a good story and USC has one of the best stories, you know? Yeah. And we were there for a good chunk of the evolution of cinema, I want to say, because um, when we were in undergrad, digital cinema was taking over. And then when we got to grad school, digital cinema was everywhere and celluloid was almost, you couldn't find it. Um, you, You needed a grant to actually make your thesis film on film. Yep. Um, so, so just you being a cinematographer, just tell me how you felt about that. Were, were you aware of this when you got to USC or were you expecting to actually work on film? No, you know, I've never been that person. I, I don't have this weird love of celluloid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't. I never have. I, I, I love film. I love storytelling. Yeah. I love the films. It wasn't I didn't care what it what they lit it with or what they shot it on, you know, I just love the storytelling. Um, so I was more just like kind of a leaf in the wind, I guess, you know, like, yeah, like me and you, Rich, like we, we were literally the guinea pig class. That's what we always call ourselves. Yeah. We were, we, we were the moment that that school shifted over to digital. Yeah. And so we were always the first and they really just, they had, uh, you know, to be fair, they didn't know what they were doing. They, they pretended they yeah. did, but they didn't well, know, it, you know, the professors, everybody was figuring it out. It felt like there was something new every two or three months, uh, camera wise and lens wise. And, you know, n- nobody actually knew how much it took to fill one of those cards yeah, yeah. and they were limiting us to a certain amount of cards, but it was ridiculous. And 
because they didn't know like the kids knew more about the digital aspect of things than the professors did. yeah so we like we were able to trick it and you know download <laughs> footage and, and the thing is remember i don't even remember but like like they didn't even know how to get our projects off the computer yeah. for the longest time like it's like how do you get these things out of the avid like nobody even knew how to the export settings i mean it was you know for the first year it was definitely it's a three-year program uh, but it was just the first year was just like trial and error, like every single day. But I, I enjoy it. You know, I, I enjoy adventure, so I don't mind that stuff, you know, and we got a lot of benefit and we got a, le a lot of leeway because of that. I think uh, we were able to do things that I, I think other students might not have been able to do like later on once, once protocol was properly laid in place and mm. stuff like, like a lot of us got to break rules that oh, yeah. from what I understand there. They can be a little too strict, in my opinion. I mean, I loved USC. I loved my time there. Um, but there is a lot of bureaucracy there, too, just mm -hmm. like any major academic institution. So, You and I worked on several projects together. Uh, and then your focus became cinematography. Yes? Yeah. I was a, definitely a director of cinematographer at USC. And I, I, I love directing. I love working with actors. Um it's just when I got out, I was also known as a cinematographer. You know, USC is a place where it's a school of directors, really, right? And you did mm -hmm. something else. And, yep. you know, a lot of people didn't need another director, but they needed a cinematographer. And I like to stay busy. And I love, I truly love the craft. I love the art of it. And I love being a cinematographer. And when I got out of school, there was just a natural, I guess, those paid the bills. That was the job that paid the bills quick. And I kind of went off into that land. Um, mm -hmm. that, that said, directing is most likely in my future I shouldn't say most likely it is in my future. I just don't know exactly when, but I do miss it. And it, it is what brought me to cinema to begin with. But I truly love being a cinematographer. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful collaborative process. And, you know, it's so creatively fulfilling and it's fun to, you know, directing can be a really stressful job where you have to, you know, look at a lot of pieces, but a cinematographer, you really get to just carve out a piece. And to me, it's one of the best pieces of the whole pie. You know, it's like, you get to play with lenses and lights and actors and mm -hmm. all the cool stuff. And I mean, I truly love it. And I love it both. I, I love making, I love telling stories. You also shot a prisoner for yep. Matt Edwards. Yes, Matt Edwards, yeah. And uh, you won an award for that short? I did, yeah. The, the ASC Heritage Award, which is pretty pretty big stuff for a student. You know what I mean? Like it's – I was, you know, I was so grateful for that experience, you know. I didn't know it, – it's something that you just kind of like, ah, you know. It, it, to put it for an audience that wouldn't understand, it, it, it knows that award. It's like the equivalent of like a student academy award for a director or something. You know, it's like of that caliber. And mm. and you're, you're being honored by the ASC, you know, which is like, you know, for anybody that wants to be a cinematographer or just understands that world, it's like that's, that's the place where, you know, the best DPs from – the entire world all kind of congregate and it's such a cool club and such a cool group of individuals that are all at the, the top of their game. And they've been doing it for like 80, 90 or a hundred years or something. I don't know. It's like, like they, they're almost as old as the industry itself. It's mm. so cool. So it was, it was an incredible experience getting that award, but also just being able to share it with Matt Edwards. Matt Edwards is one of my closest friends. He's an incredible director too, which wouldn't he, and he wouldn't want me to say that because now he's firmly rooted as a incredible cinematographer. So, <laughs> and that's what he does. Um, and he, he's shooting a show for Amazon right now in New York, but he's, um, man, I just love it. We're, we're super close collaborators and stuff. And, yeah, so he was nominated for the same award for my directorial thesis, mm -hmm. and then I won it for his directorial thesis. So, 
so so your relationship with matt started at usc yeah yeah you did the same so, project we worked on yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the 546 yeah, project yeah, yeah. yeah how do you eat bacon yeah how do you eat bacon? <laughs> <laughs> that was another odd one yeah. yeah that was that was fun i still have that shirt by the way oh yeah how do you yeah, bacon I shirt i still have it yeah um so so Matt then um, shot your your thesis, yeah, vicious, yeah, um, which your your thesis won several awards, including best director yeah. uh, for you and and yeah. um, cinematography for Matt as well, yeah. um, and then that movie, uh, let, let, you know what? Let's just talk a little bit about it because it's a, it's a coming of age story about two gangs in L.A. confronted with the brutality of reality of their situation. And I was just curious, where, where did that story come from? I, I know, I know I have you here as cinematographer Andrew Jarek, but um, I just, I just want to go through the motions here and just figure out where this uh, thesis come from, where this story come from. Yeah, sure. I mean, I always love talking about it because, it, you know, like I said, directing is going to be a big part of my future. You know, mm -hmm. it's just it's already in the plans, you know. So it's like vicious to me was like, you know, I guess what's the best way to say it? Like a lot of people don't they go to film school and stuff and they don't really know how they should enter the world. Right. And the best thing to say is you should have a project you're really proud of, you know, that that, that kind of can be your voice, the, the way you want your career to, I guess, be initially when you enter the world and be seen mm. like, the way you want the world to see you as like the, the more you can enter the world out of a, any film school with a project like that, the better, you know? So I had shot all these, you know, I was fortunate that I got to shoot a, you know, a handful of great theses um as a cinematographer that was super proud of that i could be like yes like here's my work you know i'd love to work collaborate on a feature film or whatever um and then as a director like i put i wanted to enter the world as well with something i could be really proud of so it, it was a process for me you know like how to figure out i went through all different stories uh, you know from a ghost story to this kind of story and stuff but i wanted to do something that i guess what's so as put it like something i could i really truly like identify with in a sense and and i'm not saying i i identify with like gang violence or, or gang life but more like childhood and doing things that you might not otherwise do because you feel the need to belong to something bigger you know and, and it's the allure of that like the allure of doing things in order to belong you know mm -hmm. that might not be in your best interest or anybody else's best interest, but you just have this longing, you know, and I understood that. So I needed something that was there. And then I, I remember hearing, you know, we go to school at USC and stuff and, you know, being plugged in. A lot of people didn't think gang violence was still a thing or something, you know, as if it was something that belonged to the age of dinosaurs, like, you know, 1990s, Boys in the Hood, all these films covered mm -hmm. this stuff. And, and somehow it's not a problem anymore. It just kind of fixed itself. Life goes on. No, but that was completely incorrect. It's just people weren't shining their light on it anymore. You know, people, as people do in Hollywood, they kind of get obsessed with a topic they kind of do a whole bunch of stuff about it. They talk about it ad nauseum and then they just leave it, you know, as if that's gone and done now, but that's not the case. This is real people living real lives. And we were, you know, going to school in an area that these things still were happening, you know? And I just, there was a story about gang violence that was all just about uh, an innocent boy getting shot 
purely for a gang initiation. Like that's it. Like it was nothing more than that. You know, there, there's been a big history between the Mexican gangs or the Mexican American gangs and the African American gangs, you know, the Crips and the Bloods and stuff like that. So just there's, there's a long history of conflict between those groups. So anyway, th this one kid was just walking with like, it was a Spider-Man backpack. It was nothing more than that, but it was red. And these people were just hunting for a, for a shoot for a shooting a drive-by shooting in order just to get this other kid in the gang like there was it could have been anybody that belonged quote unquote to a, a gang um and they shot him and killed him and he was like a young kid that was innocent had nothing to do with gangs or anything like that and i just remember hearing that story because that, that story happened when we were at usc and it just broke that broke my heart like i like stories i read in the news is a lot of how i find ideas that mm -hmm. i'm personally interested in and stories that like kind of really touched me like that like i just i don't know i just had so much empathy for the moment you know for everybody too like you know obviously for the victim mostly and then for his family but then on top of that just the the fact that it was all misconstrued it was misidentity it was that gangs even exist to begin with the fact that this other kid was basically kind of selling his sell, soul to the devil just to belong to this gang he was like 12 years old 13 years old or something you know he's trying to belong this other kid's just trying to it, it was just this storm of things that just kind of broke my heart it's like a fuel a, a full tragedy you know to put it in a short perspective and you know so i was able to connect that I wanted to explore that more, especially because people weren't talking about that stuff as if it was just a done issue and gang violence didn't exist anymore. And then I wanted to attach it to that other idea of, you know, doing things that I understood about trying to belong and what, what are you willing to do in order to belong to something, you know? And I was able to combine, I saw that potential in that story. And, you know, obviously, you know, as, as somebody that's an outsider to that world, like I was very cautious of that at first, you know, like how do I approach this stuff? But I, I believe any storyteller, any filmmaker, any writer should be able to explore any topic as long as they approach it with like empathy and truthfulness and, uh, you know, an understanding and incorporate the people that live those real experiences, incorporate them in the process. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? The problems always come what, from an outsider trying to exploit a situation or just doing what they think or feel a situation is, but without any actual research. But mm -hmm. I didn't do that. I, I mean, I, I truly respect the situation. And so I really did a deep dive and I incorporated a lot of ex gang members from like homeboy Inc. And I had a few incredible collaborators that really went above and beyond that lived that life that were there every day and every minute to help the accuracy of the project and everything. And just, it was, a, it was a hard experience, but it was a beautiful experience. I'm really proud of the film. Well, after USC, you actually worked professionally with some of our classmates. You, you did something for uh, Anna and Elizabeth yep. James. Yep, yep. You've also worked with Marty Go, right? Yep, yeah. Marty's one of my closest friends, too. Man. She's so talented, incredible filmmaker. Has her own voice and her own vision, too. And man, I was just a I've worked with her on a handful of projects and I was, I did second unit on her first feature. Her, mm. uh, her fiance is actually her cinematographer slash writing partner stuff, uh, Brody. And he's a fantastic DP in person too. So I love working with them all. Um, yeah, I was just happy to be able to, I love helping my friends succeed, you know what I mean? And I hope they love helping me succeed. I mean, <laughs> I just think the world's a richer place when we're all in it together yeah. and helping each other up, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you uh you've you've done a bunch of other stuff um you also did i remember you 
posting about it, a film called Papa, which mm-hmm. was, uh, was it a co-production uh, with China? Is a Chinese U.S. co well, man, That was my first feature too. I was like, right. I think one year out of school, man, and uh, it was supposed to be like a small indie, like yeah. I think like under a million dollar budget, uh, definitely non-union. Um, and then by day one of production, it was six million dollar, seven million dollar budget. <laughs> oh wow! Full union, having all these actors and all this stuff. I was just like, my head was spinning. It was, it was quite the experience. Not something you expect, like just six to nine months out of USC, you know, but it was a very fortunate experience. I was thankful um, for it because it really took me outside my comfort zone. I was fortunate. I was able to get a few USC people on the non-union side in like uh, Gil Marsden is a, a good friend. He ended up first ADing it, did a great job. Michael Heiser was one of our professors. Um, he's a legit, uh, well-established producer. He ended up EPing yep. it. Sev Ohanian, who's like just, dominating right now you yeah. know he's got well he has a movie out right on yeah, hbo yeah judas and the black messiah yeah. you know it's like i mean he's you know he did uh searching and you know he's he's working with ryan coogler who was a classmate and an awesome friend and everything and yep. super talented filmmaker you know so it's like i was able to get a couple of these people on the project um which helped but it was such a big machine you know like all of a sudden i went from having like normally a gaffer a key grip and a few swings or electricians to now having a huge team and my gaffer carlos torres you know he was a veteran and you know he was able to kind of shepherd me through some process and that's really what you want to as mm-hmm. like a young cinematographer is kind of like maybe a little you know in in the deep end a little bit you want some people that have been there before you know so um and my key grip leo was awesome he's uh he was he did a great job and my first AC team and my camera. And basically I, I got really lucky with a great team. And I would learn very quickly that, you know, it's just all about the hiring process. And I, I, I'm thankful we, we hired some really good people and that made that really difficult shoot that much easier. What about uh, your work on The Fugitive? I also remember you posting about that and the aftermath of the... <laughs> platform just dying yeah well that that, i guess you know that uh, in terms of quibi dying i guess everybody kind of had a feeling you know like while you were shooting no and that was never brought up so so fugitive for those that know or don't know you know is like keith or sutherland um kind of plays the tommy lee jones character you know it wasn't a straight remake it was um it just kind of took the idea and did its own thing with it. Just did the idea of, you know, an innocent man being, you know, charged with a crime and, and then the, the gruff, you know, veteran police enforcement person in mm-hmm. our case, it's kind of like a, you know, he's like a counterterrorism guy, just like, you know, how he played in 24 and stuff, but it's like, he's the one who's now searching for the innocent character and stuff. So, um, you know, it just plays on the idea. So anyway, that was a Quibi show. Uh, we had a good budget. The, my mentor, Peter Levy, I got, you know, him as a mentor through the USC mentorship program. And like, he really, Peter Levy really was and is like a true mentor in every form. And and now I consider him just a friend. We hang out and we talk and we, we go on camping trips once in a while and all kinds of stuff. I mean, he's just a great human being, super talented, world-class cinematographer and a veteran of the game. He's been in it for 40 years. Anyway, he had never asked me to be a part of an actual one of his projects yet. He's just like, I just ask him for advice. I go over, we talk, we hang out, 
you know, we just have a lovely friendship and relationship in that respect. And I never asked him for a job and he never offered me a job. And then somehow the fugitive came up and he got hired to do it. And he goes, Hey, I think it's time we work together, you know? And he goes, I want you to be one of my camera operators. And I just said, you know, with like a, you know, like butterflies in my stomach. Cause I'm used to being my own boss, you know, uh-huh. I'm not used to working for other people in that respect, especially somebody with his, you know, his credentials and stuff like that and working at his level. I mean, so it was, and also I didn't know if it would affect our relationship. You know, you never know. It's like, we didn't have, we didn't work together. We just had a friendship and a mentorship that was separate from literal working together. So I didn't want to jeopardize that. So I kind of, but it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up and, you know, working on this huge show with all these veterans and, you know, Keith or Sutherland and all these other people. And so I did it. And I jumped in and, you know, we, we shot for, I think it was like a year ago, a little over a year ago. We shot for um, almost 30 days in LA, all throughout LA. It all took place in LA and it was a great experience. But in terms of the Quibi stuff, yeah, it was like, it was broken up into 10 episodes, how they do in their format. And, but we shot it like a feature, you know, we shot it. And, and I know a lot was made about that aspect ratio thing they were trying to use as their like selling point, just like that flipping uh, aspect yeah. ratio, but like we never, it was never brought up. Like in terms of shooting style, we shot in one eight five. We framed for one eight five. We shot giant wise. We shot giant close ups. There was so that was all done in post. Yeah, it was all done in post. It was never brought up. It just you know, S- Stephen Hopkins, the director, is a super efficient veteran of the game. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he wants. And you know, him and Peter, they just they've worked together. They've been collaborators for. I don't know, like 40 years or something. They oh, go wow. way back, all the way back to Australia and stuff. Um, so they don't even speak that much on set. They just they kind of almost have telepathy. And they just make the story the way they want to make it. They didn't get caught up in all the ins and outs of, you know, the what what other people are talking about. Oh, the you know aspect ratio. Or, oh, it's going to be on a phone. Or, oh, it's 10 minutes. No, they just, they're just storytellers that told the story the way they wanted to. And they let, I guess the editors and everybody else kind of figure out the rest of that kind of technical stuff. All right. So um, before we we start talking about anything else, I just want to quickly talk about your photo collection because I've seen some of what you have on Facebook and on Instagram. And I just think that these are stunning images. I I just, I, I love the way that you just allow light to come into the frame without forcing it too much. Um, and then there's always like a hint of the ethereal, um, yeah. uh, like, like, like dreamlike, um, especially in these um, panoramic shots that you take of nature, like in the Joshua tree. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's fog or I don't know what it is. It just feels like, like a dream. It's very dreamlike to me. I, I and I love those pictures. Um and then there are pictures of you and your close ones as well. And then off the top of my head, I I I I just love the way that you bring out detail from from your backlit subjects which is very interesting because you think of backlight or i think of backlight and i say all right my face is is going to be shrouded in shadow but your pictures are different because yes they they are in shadow but you can still you can still see detail i mean the the Mm -hmm. light sometimes just creeps in from behind and 
I don't know. The, the, the main focus of the frame is still the person, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's, there's this little... Uh, it's, it's a delicate balance, I, I, I want to say. Because it's hot, but it's not too hot in the background. <laughs> and then there's shadow, but there's not too much shadow. It's just enough to kind of maintain a, 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 a sense of intrigue without obscuring your intent, right? And those, um, the profile pics you've done of our colleagues are, are awesome as well. I've always loved those. Thank you for saying all that. It's, it's, it's uh, strange to hear other people kind of talk about my photographs. Cause I do my photographs just for fun for, for me. Like I right. don't sell them. I don't do anything. It's just pure expression for me, you know? So it's fun hearing you saying all that. And, you know, I, I'm not saying you're right or wrong or anything. It's just, that's the way you get it. You know, I, I love those i love uh twilight i guess maybe that's where that some of that feeling comes from mm-hmm. like i don't even bother taking pictures of, like between like i don't even want to shoot a movie between 10 and 4 p.m <laughs> but like you know <laughs> we have to right but like with my photos i don't have to right so i don't even bother anymore i don't i don't even take my phone out until like around 4 p.m 4 30 p.m or and i'm not a morning person so i rarely unfortunately get sunrises so but sunsets the dusk dust there's a magic in dusk that's just it has that nostalgia. It has that dream quality, and that's where I'm. I'm happy to shoot all my stuff for at least for now in the the mode I'm in right now because it's so delicate. It's such a delicate time. Uh, it's kind of when light is merging, you mm. know, like uh, throughout the day. You know, the highlights or the sun is so bright that your shadows are so dark. But it's around that dusk, you know, and it changes every minute. You know, where the the uh, the differences are starting to not be so different anymore. And it's like, yeah, some people would use flat, but when you're dealing with like dusk, it's never flat, you know, it's, there's still shadow and it's, but it's just so gentle. It's so, yeah. And it's changing every minute, every, and it's so exciting to shoot during that time. You know, it's a great training ground for any cinematographer, or even director, or any filmmaker, you know, just to kind of work in that environment because it's, you see how quickly things change, you know, it's just a good stomping ground and I just love it. And I love nature. Nature is kind of, I guess my, um, like my spiritual place just being out in nature it's like kind of healing for me it's just and joshua tree man joshua tree have you been out to joshua yeah yeah okay great great dude like that's that might be one of my most favorite places on earth all right so we've talked a lot we've been going on for quite a while so how about (laughs) if we get into our feature segment huh let's do it let's talk about sightless all right so sightless is out on Netflix as we speak. And here's uh, a synopsis from Netflix. A former violinist who grows suspicious of new people in her life and their alarming behavior as she discovers from an assault that has left her blind. Now, I think that's a little bit too much for my taste. Hmm. Um, But, you know, I'm not too fond of trailers either, so... Who am I to judge, yeah. right? Fair enough. Anyway, so so uh, I I saw Sightless and I was very impressed with the very distinct visual language that it has right from the get go. I mean, it's established it's established in those first few minutes of the movie, and, and it pays off all the way to to the end. This has all the makings of of a suspense thriller. 
you know, I, 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 I really like that it doesn't pretend to be anything but. And yeah, it's it's low budget, mm-hmm. but that just lets you get away with so much. I mean, it's very intimate, very subjective. Um, it's a film that you know it pulls, it puts you there with the protagonist all the way through. Right. And of course, there are twists and turns, but even even when you might suspect what these twists and turns are going to be, they don't feel cheap. Um, or, or that they came out of nowhere. They, they click and, and, and fit into place very, very neatly. Um, Madeline uh, Pesh, Patch. Patch, mm-hmm. who Patch, plays, yeah. who play, plays uh, Ellen, the protagonist, she's great. Uh, I think Cooper was able to, to get a great performance out of her. And she, she, she takes us through the motions and in a way she makes us feel that um, the she makes us feel what she's going through as well. Mm-hmm. You know, all the all the trauma, um, and at times uh, desperation that can arise from an incident like like she has, where she just loses her sight, um, and the frustration as well of the recovery and 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 that the that that whole process of uh, accepting that you have this new thing in your life. That you have to get used to. Um, the sound design is is very key, also to to feeling what Ellen is feeling. So if you have a surround sound at your home, that's a great plus when you watch this movie. You'll be pleasantly surprised. But most of all, for me, was the calculated and planned camera work that goes hand in hand with the story. You know, it makes the movie work, and I'm not just saying that because you're here. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons why I brought you here is is to talk about the movie. You're you're the cinematographer, and we're going to go into more detail about this. But, um, and I don't want to say it now because uh, I don't want to talk about any spoilers here. But, um, those choices in the movie are very rewarding as the plot moves along, and and I have some issues with some of the third act, but it doesn't detract Mm -hmm. from the experience of watching things unfold like this right before your eyes. Mm. Um, So if you have anything to add, please please make me stop talking (laughs) because I can go on. (laughs) No, no, I I appreciate all that. I mean, I, you know, I I give a lot of credit, you know, in terms of the the stuff that you said where it, it kind of felt like, it wasn't cheap and it was earned and all that stuff, you know, all that credit goes to Cooper. You know, he spent a long time, he's a first time director, you know, he had only done a short before that uh, as a director, he, he went to Chapman and he's a writer. Okay. Um, and he, I did, I shot the short and that's kind of how we met about uh, two years before production on the feature and stuff. And we made the short to help him sell the project he had already had the script. He just needed to prove he could, you know, the visual style. A lot of people had questions about whatever this world would look like and how would you show the mental state of somebody that just lost their vision and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so he was having a lot of difficulty trying to explain that in words. So he was just like, let's just make a short, you know. And then through mutual friends and stuff, uh, we got connected and we talked about it. We shot it over a weekend and we did the short and you know we did a, a good job with like zero money shot at his apartment got some really good actors actually um 
uh, skeleton crew. And then, yeah, you know, it, it worked out pretty well. And he used that to kind of, you know, shop the script around kind of like hand in hand, like here's a script, here's a short, you know, yeah. and he was able to, you know, get some traction with that. And it's a smart way to do it. Um, ultimately for young filmmakers uh, to do something like that because we're just in a visual world and if somebody can watch a 10 minute version of the script that just helps you know yeah and it also proves that you can kind of deliver to some extent um, and you're not as risky of an investment so it just worked out really good and then uh, yeah then we made the movie it was definitely low budget so I will definitely add that <laughs> you know the script was the script Cooper spent a lot of time on. That's why a lot of the things, the, a lot of the things that work, I give him all that credit because he did do all that work. It is definitely a puzzle and kind of putting all that together definitely takes, you know, a lot of uh, sweat equity and stuff. So he did all that. Um, but yeah, w- once what came down to really making it, man, I mean, like, oof, yeah, it was, you know, I don't mind ever talking about technical stuff. I know audiences, you know, some of them like it. Ultimately, it makes no difference to the actual experience of watching the movie, whether it's low budget, big budget, whether you're given one day or a million days. The movie's the movie, and that's how it should be judged. But, you know, like it was, a, it was definitely one of those kind of shoots, you know, like a couple hundred thousand dollars, you know, 13, 14 days, you know, just every second counting, you know, you know you're. You got to kill your babies left and right. Yep. It's all about efficiency. You get two takes with your actors. I mean, it was definitely one of those type of experiences, you know, trial by fire kind yeah. of thing, you know. And um, I had been through that kind of experience before, so it wasn't that unnatural for me. But Cooper obviously hadn't. So, uh, but I was really impressed with him as a director because he, you know, on day one, he was definitely like, whoa, this thing is just moving so fast, you know. It was just like, oh my God. Like we shot all the bedroom stuff. So we, we built the set, um, but the living room wasn't done being built. So we had to shoot all the stuff in the bedroom first while they were still building the second part of the set, which is, it, it made sense and it, it worked out pretty well to start in a small space mm-hmm. and then work out to the bigger space, especially with the limited resources we had. So, you know, like, but by the end, Cooper was in well command and he was working wonderfully with the actors and, you know, and so on. He, he grew a lot in a really short amount of time. And that's something I look for in first time directors, because, you know, like we're all looking for different collaborators to grow with. And some some you're like, oh, OK, well, that was fun, but I don't think we're going to grow together, you know, and that's fine. That's nothing wrong with that as part of the process but cooper's somebody that really grew and he's smart and we worked really well together we were always on the same page and uh, we always had each other's back for the stuff that mattered and yeah it was it was a pleasure working with him and but the shoot itself was definitely a whirlwind i mean there's no way about it and i don't want to say why people might have issues with the third act i understand why they may but the third act was done in such a way where it's just like we were just scraping by. We had to shoot the movie in linear order, which mm. is very rare. You know, usually you kind of jump around a bit. But because of the nature of the script, plus the time we had, and we had to redress the whole apartment and stuff like that for some of the twists and turns, we had to shoot it in a specific order. So the third act got kind of the short end of the yeah. the, the uh, time and budget. You know what I mean? And, and you know, like I said, I'm always super honest with the work. I know a good movie from a bad one. I know what works, what doesn't work. And I'm probably my own harshest critic with the stuff I do work on. So I know it works in this film and I know it doesn't work in the film. But ultimately, like I always just, you know, there's no right or wrong. If you love the film or you didn't like the film, that's there's it's a subjective medium we work in so you that's just as valid as anybody else's opinion you know what i mean so and you you don't know how this movie was made so you're totally you know 
your opinion has worth, you know, I appreciate it. So, but yeah, it was a, it was a crazy whirlwind experience, but I, I really enjoyed the process. I enjoyed the script, you know, the actors did the best they could under very difficult circumstances. They did a good job. Um, you know, like Madeline, I think she got hired like two weeks before, Oh wow! you know what I mean? It's stuff like that. You know, it's just like, man, yeah. it's just like, she had to jump into learning how a blind person can do it because, you know, like nobody, I never want to work with somebody that is an exploitative kind of storyteller, filmmaker, somebody that just like wings it or disrespects it or uses, you know, these kind of issues for entertainment for the sake of entertainment. No, it's like if you're going to deal with something like a disability or, you know, some kind of, you know, your social issue or, or whatnot, it's like, you got to respect it, man. You got to respect it. You got to talk to the people that experience it. They got to be part of the process, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I don't know her full process per se, but I know she, I know she put in the work, you know, to try to understand how, and in very short order, you know I mean? It's like two weeks, boom, you know, you're going to be a, a blind girl for right. the next couple of weeks. And what does that mean? You know, she's pretty young. I mean, she, I think she's in her mid twenties. So it's like, she and she just had to jump in. I think she saw she's one of the stars on Riverdale, mm-hmm. and so she just had this window of uh, time to make a project and all. And and this was the one she chose, but it all came together very quickly, very quickly. So, all right. So let's let's dig a little deeper. And a word of warning here. Now we're going to talk about spoilers. So I want to get into the nitty gritty of making this movie, and I'll I'll be asking you some questions that might give away some things so to the audience out there if you haven't yet go on netflix and give it a watch and then come back and listen to the rest and watch it for at least two minutes because that apparently is how netflix now decides whether it was not whether it was viewed or not that's that's the algorithm they're using that's the metric oh my god if something's watched for two minutes it counts as a full watch all right (laughs) Um, so here, here's a softball for you. How how early into pre-production were you involved in making the movie? Uh, very. And that's something, again, like, man, pre-production's everything, dude. Like, you, you know that that old saying, right? Uh, fix it in post. Yeah. Man, you know, pardon my French, but fuck that. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's done. It's fix it in prep. Yeah. You know, that's the new thing. It's like, you got to have your shit together as early as you can especially when you're trying to make a project that matters to you you know and it's like the more time you have the the better that said in terms of budget man it was you know it wasn't enough like you had to i had to put a lot of sweat equity in it just like cooper did and stuff like that mm-hmm. so I, I worked on this project for months with very little to no pay just because i believed in the story and the vision cooper had and stuff so you know thankfully a project of this size rarely would have that kind of luxury of having a few of the key collaborators at least kind of be able to work on it for so long. Um, so we, you know, he, Cooper got that from me and, you know, I, I, and I think it just helps pay off, you know, the more you have this thing figured out, especially knowing the limitations you're about to enter, the better off you're going to be, you know? So, you know, we don't have a lot of time, so we had to make a lot of decisions beforehand. You know, you can't wing it like that. If you wing it, it's all just going to fall apart. And, and earlier you were talking about, like, you know, that had a kind of specific vision. And, you know, Cooper wanted the film to have a vision. It's something we always talked about. Um, but I know these kind of, like, little indie films can easily go off the rails where you just start shooting normal coverage. And you just need p- mouths talking, you know, but, like, medium shot, MCU, move on. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, we got a lot of, you know – there were people 
that we're advocating for that kind of stuff. Just shoot a shoot a medium and move on, you know. And it's like, no, that's not what this movie is, you know. It's this, and we had a fight, you know. We had a fight. You know, young filmmakers have to fight for their vision, you know. And we were up for the fight, and Cooper was up for the fight, and he, we. Uh, so that's why it has the voice it does. Is you know, like it was a collaboration between the two of us, and the prep we had that we did on our own dime, our own time, and just kind of kind of cracked crack that and then you know once you're in the fire and making the movie itself you know the director has a lot of push and pull from various things of having to accomplish the day the ad the producers the actors everybody's kind of pushing and pulling and so the dp as far as i'm concerned is kind of the uh, and my mentor always taught me this and i agree is kind of the defender of the vision you know what i mean it sounds kind of maybe a little stoic but it, it's true it's just like because yeah, i don't have yeah, I don't have the same pressures he does in right. that. In that, so I get to like plant my flag that no, this is the movie we both want to make, and I'm going to put my foot down and buy us more time here and do this. And you know, as you as you learn more of your craft and you understand politics and the film industry better, you start learning how to work your magic a little bit more to buy you a little extra time here and do little things like that. So I employed all that stuff to just make sure we're constantly defending the vision and not giving in to just like, let's just shoot and get the dialogue over with and move on. Cause then, you know, it's a crowded field out there. You're like, why should people invest time in your project? You know, it's like, you should, you need to have something to say. You got to give them something for their time, mm -hmm. you know? And so uh, we're aware of that and we, we fought those battles. But yeah, a lot of, as much prep as we can get away with. I probably put at least a good six weeks of prep into these. Oh, this. Nice. Plus I was attached all the way through to Cooper's benefit. You know, when I did the short, it was never an agreement that I would do the feature, you know, like if it got sold, it was, but we just liked working with each other and he always kept me in the loop and I had read the script and, you know, so I, I had known about this project for a long time. And mm. I think that always pays dividends. Because sometimes I get offered features and it's like, oh, cool. Yeah. Like, okay, here's the script. Let's talk about it. And then it's like, oh, when, when are you going in production? Oh, in two weeks. You know, it's just like, that's fast. You know what I mean? Like that's, that, that's when you start to fall back into uh, what's easiest and not always what's best. Mm. You know, when you don't, when you don't have proper prep, that's why I'm a big believer in fix it and prep now, because the more you can do in prep, the better your project's going to be. And there's just no, no way around that. What was it about the story that that compelled you to sign on? Yeah, I, I loved. I like subjectivity. You know, something we covered earlier, just about uh, you know all the films that influenced me to my psychology interests early on to you know just all that kind of stuff. Is I've always been interested in how cinema can explore the mental state of characters. And, you know, like I, I like a good objectivity film, you know, something that's watching from the outside or, you know, things like that, you know. Um, but personally, when I work, I really love to uh, express myself um, and express the feeling and the mental state of characters visually. I like when movies try to do it with audio. I like it when, you know, basically using all the tools of the trade in order to explain somebody's inner workings i love that it's just like that's a cat's meow to me so you know he had a really interesting take something that i really appreciated um in terms of how the world would kind of shift now i would love to have done more of it you know if we had more time more money things like that you know it's easy to say but i do know that like there was more we wanted to do with that and we mm -hmm. just couldn't get around to it but it's like he just he, he had a real clean way of trying to deal with the shifting world and and one of his challenges was just trying to explain to people that 
you know, realistically, nothing you see in the movie is real. Like that's a hard concept to get across, even to producers and actors mm-hmm. and, you know, production designer and everybody. It's like, what do you mean? Like you, you think, you know, without spoiling anything, but once you know, no, no, no. Where we're the, in spoilers. So, oh, this is spoiler ahead. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So once, you know, the twist reveals itself that she's, she's uh, like a captive and stuff like that. And we had to change the environment. It was like that environment change was just her subjective mind too. It wasn't like a lot of people thought the first part was her mind, but then once it got, you know, once the reveal happened of her, you know, finding out she's just kind of a bird in a birdcage, that world is the real world now, but it Mm -hmm. wasn't the real world. Nothing's the real world. In fact, it's all made up, you know, like it's all her imagining the world around her, all the way from the beginning to the end. So what does that mean? You know? And so that was fun. That was a fun puzzle to play with. And, you know, obviously we had more time or money, we would probably have done it in a bigger way or this or that, but I, I'm proud of the work we did with what we had for sure. But that definitely was the big allure. You were, know I mean? were you and involved yeah. in the choices for the shots at all? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, we did all the shot lists together and we watched lots of references and you know, I, that's a style I have employed before with other collaborators. I got a good director friend, uh, Jamie Winterstern, who we, we all went to school with. Yeah, he, he loves that kind of style too. So I, we had shot like that a lot. And, uh, so th- that kind of real purposeful shooting, really composed shooting, really thoughtful shooting is something I had done a lot of. So it was just like kind of innate with me at this point. And, I, uh, and which is a good thing. Cause again, when you don't have a lot, it wasn't like I was trying to, uh, rediscover the wheel there, you know, and, and it just worked perfectly for Cooper's vision. Anyways, that was the vision he always had. Mm-hmm. We, we watched movies like the, the cure to cure for wellness and, okay, yeah. you know, we watched Fincher films and stuff like that, you know, like very, just that really composed purposeful shooting style, which is to be fair is an expensive style. And that's something we had to talk a lot about because, mm-hmm. You know, young filmmakers, they always want to mimic or kind of be influenced by these masters. But the masters, I always try to aim them more to the master's first work, not their newest blockbuster. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, because what did these masters do when they only had $500,000? That's more interesting to me than when they already have $120 million and, you know, 400 days of shooting and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. like Fincher does so much crazy stuff, but everybody wants to copy that style for some reason. But it's like... You can't do he every shot's a VFX shot and you know and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, we we watched a lot of references. We talked a lot, and uh, we both agreed um, on the initial style. Now there was a turn when she realized she's in the bird kind of birdcage uh, per se. We go to a handheld style. That was my idea because of the for multiple reasons. First, I just think it works. It's like now you know originally mentally it makes sense that everything's composed and purposeful and etc because she's kind of she's supposed to be at her brother's place she's supposed to feel somewhat dare i say confident in that environment a little Mm -hmm. bit you know it's like her home but even though it's her brother's place but it's like it's just like a place that she can feel a little protected in but then once she realizes that's not where she's at it makes sense to kind of be unsteady the lens you know unsteady the camera and so the handheld work but then also it worked for just making the film you know what i mean it's like okay because we shot in order it was weird how it kind of worked out but we ended up with a lot of more time for the lead up so all that purposeful stuff we had like like i think like three quarters of our production time and then once the turn happened we had like four days to finish the rest yeah. of the film well so the, the beginning like of the movie 40%. feels very deliberate i mean every single step of the way um it feels it feels planned. It feels 
like there's no other way to shoot it that's that's the way it was meant to be shot and because uh, it, it's it's so subjective you're you're actually seeing what she is imagining nothing more nothing less um, yeah, yeah and uh and and here's 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 a something that I was wondering is this movie is v- very monochromatic, right? Yes. Was that was that a specific choice that you that you guys made from the beginning? Yes. Just to highlight that she's not really looking at everything. This the 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 whole spectrum of color that it actually is just whatever's in her mind. Yeah, you know that was always there. That that comes the the sea green look of it. You yeah. know, like like I tweaked it, but that definitely came from Cooper. Like that was original. Intent. Like he loved movies like The Ring and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, like and we watched movies like Shame and all these other f- movies that had a various form of that kind of sea green color palette, like the piano and stuff like that. He just liked that. He he grew up in Seattle. And that's why the film set there, and it just kind of has that forest and wet and dreary, which actually kind of made it a little tricky for me because we shot it all on a soundstage. Yeah. But w- what helps you actually make a soundstage feel a little bit more real is sunlight, like how you treat sunlight. So I'm really happy with some of the like the late afternoon shots and stuff like that. You know, there, there's not a lot of it in the film, but I really like the way that stuff turned out. And I had an excellent, uh, you know, G and E team and camera team that helped support me, of course. But like, we did a really good job with that because, like, when you can start like knocking direct light around a space, you can start cheating the the idea that it's real. You know what I mean? But we Cooper didn't want that. He wanted it to be dreary Seattle, right? So it's just this flat lighting coming from these windows. But that's also what kind of gives away the stage space faster mm-hmm. you know? so we really had to find a balance man and, and that was a big trick for me you know and the stage you know everybody worked their hardest to make it look as good as it could be but mm-hmm. ultimately there were still limitations of the budget and it was a very small space Dude, you know i i think and, it, i think it works great i think i, I think the entire uh, interior of of that soundstage looks fantastic the 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 light makes it feel real. By the way, outside the window was that was that green screen or no no green screen because uh, again budget wouldn't allow green screen so we had to get these uh, you know trans lights and stuff like that. But the stage space we had again I mean we like I'm so proud of everybody really especially all the craftsmen and craftswomen of the project because we were you know our limitations we delivered above and beyond everybody you know what I mean and, and the thing is like the stage space wasn't we built. They built the the production designer built the stage almost up to the walls. I mean, like we made it as big as we really could, you yeah. know. But the stage we got for the production just wasn't that big. And so <laughs> usually with trans lights, man, usually you have like anywhere from 15 to 20 feet, sometimes more, depending on the size of distance between the window and the stage. But the trans light though was like I think 10 feet away to nine feet. So it was almost like, like a basketball player could stand on the balcony and almost touch the translate. So it was like, how do you make that look real? You know? So that was something, you know, that definitely made me restless, but like, you know, again, you just have to employ tools of the trade and a lot of tricks, a lot of tricks. So we, I was super fortunate that Panavision supported me on the film, gave me like for, pennies on the dollar, gave me a dream package and we shot with master primes and I shot, the whole movie at a wide open at a, like a one three, you know, on the lenses just to make sure that whatever is in the background is, is out of focus as could possibly be, you know, and that helps sell 
you know, thing. We, we did a lot of tricks. We did as many tricks as we could to make the outside world work, you know, mm -hmm. also kind of blowing it out, but not totally so that there's some texture back there. And, Cause you don't want just a blown out window all the time. Cause that'll feel like a stage space too. So it's like, we just, it was just a balance. It was, it was definitely tricky and yeah. we, we did a lot of tricks and I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the results. It know? works. It works. And again, the, the sound design helps to sell it as well. Yes. Um, Cause yes. you hear what's coming from the outside. Um, now I, I want to point out now that we're in spoilers uh, that the whole subjectivity of this movie was done in such a way that, like I said in the beginning, it makes sense. Like the scene with the bird, that it changes color. Yeah, it changes color. Yeah. That's uh, I love that one. That was so good. When when the scar appears on Lana's face, uh, but especially Ellen's window, um, that was that was a real good twist, uh, because you start with that shot. You start with her mm -hmm. trying to commit suicide, mm -hmm. and it's not until the midpoint where you actually see what how happened. it all leads yeah. up, right? What happened? That was and... cool. Yeah, yeah. That, that actually wasn't in the script, so that that's one of those magical things where, like, if you you have the right editor and the right collaborator, and you have the time and the freedom to explore other possibilities in in post, you mm -hmm. know, this is this is an this is a confirmation that that's a beautiful process right. you know because i that was not in the script that's not how the script started at all um and so they kind of found that you know it found yeah, it like the great. attack scene the one that leads her blind mm -hmm. like in the short that was always a memory too like we did it as like a little it's just flashes it kind of keeps her up at night it kind of gives her nightmares and stuff and but it wasn't written like that in the script too if in fact in the feature it, it's it plays out in real time and that's how the movie starts and but we had so little time to do it i think we only had like two hours to do that entire scene i think it just it didn't totally work you know like as a scene especially to open the film it wasn't strong enough. So they kind of went back to that kind of approach that it would be more flashes and memory and stuff like that. We had shot enough of that to like make that work. So they needed a new opening and, and then they found it with that just through exploring and stuff. And mm. I thought that that was a smart choice and it worked really well. Yeah. 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 So how were those conversations with the art department to, to have this all be so, so seamless? Um, because when you're out, when she, when she, when she jumps, She's actually that's a soundstage, right? I mean, yeah, you, you actually awesome. you actually shot the soundstage when you're outside, yeah, the, right? The everything, even <laughs> even the attack scene that was the parking lot of the soundstage. <laughs> Every it was literally shot at the soundstage. I except with one thing that there was one pickup day months and months and months later where we shot all the the violin stuff and the very 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 end that was pickups that we did because they wanted a new ending for one reason or another. So. Okay. But the rest was all in the soundstage. We were, we were there for like, I can't remember anyway, 13 days or something, something like that. Yeah. So everything, we had to use every little piece of that place. Like the, yeah. the hospital room was actually the business office that they kicked everybody out of and then redressed. You know, the shower was a shower, like three rooms over and mm -hmm. it was so small that I could barely fit the camera in, but we made it work. And, you know, it's it just like, Again, this is just indie filmmaking. Yeah. Well, you know? and, and and of course, I'm looking at from from a different perspective than a normal yeah. viewer, right? But I just think that you guys were very economical with your space, with your shots, 
and it you works. Have to, you have to be. You have to be. I think there's a misconception with, especially with young filmmakers. Maybe you you remember this too from like back in the USC days and things like that. It's like before people know, they tend to try to shoot everything. They mm. try to capture as much as possible on set and then deal with it later. You know, and that just comes from like some insecurity and stuff like that. But and it's a very normal part of the process. But what actually you need to do the opposite, right? The more limited resources you have, the more precision you have to be, you know, and that's something me and Cooper had a lot of talks with. And, and, and that's something I had a, a decent amount of experience with. So like that, that's kind of where the movie was made in a lot of ways, the, a lot of the stuff that you're responding to. And I'm glad you, it worked for you because like, that's where a lot of our conversations were, mm. where, okay, how can we make this look like a real movie with very little time and energy <laughs> or very little time and resources and yet make it feel like it's precision. It, it's yeah. like, it's no brainer. You have to be precision. Like you can't be the opposite. You can't, we only had one camera. We had no, this wasn't a two camera shoot or three camera shoot, you know? So mm -hmm. every shot took time, you know, to do. So, so every time we, we had a talking scene, we had a, we could only do minimal coverage because you can't shoot every form of them talking medium MCU, you know, profile, et cetera, wide shot. Like you, you we'd, we'd be there all day for two pages, you know? So, uh, we, you have to be precision. You have to be, and that's where the pre-production comes back into play. So, so I'm glad. And, and, and pre, and when you do that too, you gotta be more creative, you know, you just do, you gotta be a lot more creative. Uh, through your design process because if you find yourself on set with no time no money and you haven't thought it all out your natural inclination is just going to be to shoot the shit out of it and you're just going to burn through your day with a lot of mediocrity you know yeah. and i think that's where a lot of people get trapped and stuff so so we we knew that trap ahead of time and we try to avoid it at all costs so well every every time i i talk about a movie or review it or give my opinions on it um i always try to put myself in either your shoes or the director's shoes because I know how difficult making a movie is. Yeah, of course you do. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me when you, when you tell me all the <laughs> production issues that you guys might have had. Right. Um, but again, even, even, even with my issues with the third act, I think the movie works on so many other levels that that's just, It just makes sense. Like I said, everything clicks, and it's it's a it's a gorgeous looking film. So, oh, thank yeah. you. No, I'm so again super proud, super proud of the work, and and it just gives you that confidence too. I mean, uh, a lot of working in Hollywood is a confidence game. You know, it's yeah. just like it's this is an industry that's not for the faint of heart. You know, it really isn't. It's just like it, it wears on you. I mean, everybody I know has a therapist. I mean, that's not a cliche. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like, it's, it doesn't matter if you're an actor, a director, a writer, a producer, a cinema, it just doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's, um, it, it cause it, it's constantly makes you question yourself and are you doing the right things and are you making the right choices, you know? And, you know, like when you have a project you're really proud of, it, it's just, it's like you, you get to build on it, you know, and that's why I give everything I can like a hundred percent. And I like to work with collaborators that do the same because you can never bet which project's going to be the one that really helps you succeed and get to the, your bigger ambitions and goals. You just got to keep caring and keep busting your ass on everything you do. You know, did you work on the poster at all? 
No, 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 no. There's two posters. There's one that was the official poster, and then there's the one that Cooper made. <laughs> and uh, I, I like them both for different reasons, but if I had a preference, I like the one Cooper made. He, it had more of an edge to it. That's I, li- the, I like the one with the slash across her eyes. That's that's the one Cooper did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, the well, that's the one I like, yeah. Um, it has more of an edge to it. It's just yeah, more interesting. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and, and it, it kind of says this is... This is a, a a thriller, right? Right. Yeah, I never understood the the bird thing. I mean, like I get it. I understand the metaphor, but it's not big enough. It's not big enough part of the movie right. to like have, you know, the slash is it's more violent, it's more aggressive. Mm-hmm. It gets to the point sharper. And the official poster made her look so glossy and beautiful. And then Cooper's poster took that away in a beautiful way and just made her gave her an edge, and I like that. You know, yeah. That's more truthful, so. Mhm. Mhm. All right. Well, I, I look forward to whatever else you have going on. Um, and please, if 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 you want to come on the show and talk about anything else, or if you have another project that you want to just tell our audience about, you're more than welcome to come back. To all our listeners, you can check out Sightless on Netflix right now. Andrew, how can people connect with you on social media? Yeah, man. Uh, well, first off, thank you. Seriously, dude, it was so awesome seeing you, man. I could feel like I could talk to yeah, you about movies for hours. It's been way too long. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that, I mostly do like Instagram and stuff. I have a website that's my name, andrewjarek.com. Okay. And then Instagram handle is andrew underscore jarek. The cool thing is I'm the only person I think in the world with my name. It's a, a pretty unique name. So just um, Andrew Jarek, you can type that into Instagram and I'll be the first person, the only person. So um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's the two best ways. And you can find us on Twitter at Media Review Pod. That's Media R E V U E Pod. You can send us an email to MediaReviewPod at gmail.com or leave a voicemail with questions, comments, or suggestions at 407 603 5847. Please don't forget to subscribe to our feed and rate and review the pod. That helps a ton for people to find us within the digital jungle of podcast in this universe andrew thank you so so much for being so generous with your time i mean it's my pleasure thank you so much you know thank you for letting revisit so much of my past it was fun yeah, yeah it was fun we gotta we gotta do it again talk about the absolute days and stuff and absolutely I, I definitely appreciate it brother. all right and to all our listeners out there keep wearing those masks we're not out of the woods just yet Maintain that physical distancing, make something, express it, live it, feel it. But please, please, don't forget to breathe. Till next time, have a good one. Bye-bye.